If we could take our Bibles and open them, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter number 11. And while you're finding that place, I want to begin today by asking you a question. When you think about the person of Jesus Christ, what words would you use to describe him? Now, I thought about that last week, and I made myself a little list. I think about Jesus, what I read about him in the New Testament, what I know to be true. The first word that came to my mind, Jesus is kind. He's just the kindest person who ever lived. We know that Jesus is a joyful person. In fact, it says in the Scripture that when Jesus was on the earth, God had made him more joyful than all of his companions. Jesus is holy, and he's also forgiving. He's honest, sometimes painfully honest. We read in the New Testament where Jesus would put those religious leaders in their place and say to them, you're being too hard on these other people and you're being too easy on yourself. Jesus was a powerful person. We know that Jesus, of course, is God. And so Jesus was the one who actually created the world. And we read in the Bible that Jesus healed the blind. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. One time, or maybe more than one time, Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and there was a big storm out there, and Jesus just spoke to the wind, and the wind stopped blowing. And so Jesus was very powerful. Not only that, Jesus was dedicated. Never has anyone been more dedicated to doing the Father's will than Jesus himself. And so these are just some of the words that I would use to describe Jesus. But there's a verse in the Old Testament I want you to see today in Isaiah chapter 53 and in verse number 3 that gives us an insight into the person of Jesus that is a little bit different from everything I've just said. Notice what it says. This is an Old Testament passage prophesying the coming of the Messiah, and it describes Jesus this this way, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Say that with me. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We don't think about Jesus being sorrowful or sad. We don't think about Jesus grieving. We certainly don't think about Jesus when he was on the earth crying very much. He's kind. He's happy. He's upbeat. And yet, did you know, on three separate occasions in the New Testament, we read about the tears of Jesus. That's the title of this message this morning, the tears of Jesus. We read about Jesus weeping while he was on this earth. And that gives us an insight into the type of person that he was. Now, you're in John chapter 11. Many of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. This is the story of Jesus' friend Lazarus who got sick and he died. And before he had died, his sisters, Mary and Martha, had sent some of their friends to find Jesus. Jesus was not in the same place. And they asked him to come and heal their brother. Well, interestingly, when Jesus got that message, he decided to stay in the place where he was a little bit longer. He didn't go heal his brother. And so the time, by the time Jesus gets to the town where Lazarus and his two sisters lived, Lazarus has already died. And Jesus is kind of on the outskirts of the town. And he finds out, of course, he already knew, he knows everything, but he finds out that Lazarus had died. And we read something interesting. Now, let's pick up John chapter 11 and verse number 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she was saying, why, why, why didn't you come when he was sick? Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Look at verse 35. It only has two words. It simply says, Jesus 
wept. Jesus wept. Now, it's interesting, and I know we're not interested in Greek words. I'm really not interested, and I doubt you are either, but this part is somewhat interesting. The Greek word here for wept is the word dakruo, and it literally means to silently burst into tears. And maybe you've had that experience. You've been in a situation, and it was sad, and you could just feel your heart touched, and you started crying. You weren't making noise, but you were just, you were weeping, but it was a silent weeping. And that's what Jesus was doing. Now, back in verse 33, when it says that Mary was weeping and the Jews were weeping, that's another Greek word. It's the word klio, and that means to be weeping or wailing loudly. And the idea is mourning and that type of thing. So the two types of weeping here were different. Jesus wasn't mourning. Jesus wasn't even weeping because Lazarus had died. He was weeping. I mean, he was going to bring Lazarus back to life again. So he wasn't weeping for that reason. Jesus was weeping because these others in the area were so sad. Look again at it in verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And so Jesus was sad, not because Lazarus had died. He was about to bring him back to life. He was sad because Mary was crying, everybody was crying, and it was their pain and their sadness that touched the heart of Jesus. And that says to me that when we are sad, when we're grieving, when we're sorrowful, when we're hurting, when we're troubled in our spirit, that that touches the heart of Jesus. You know, sometimes I'll hear somebody talking about God. Maybe I'm in an event or a service, and they're talking about God, and they're portraying God as being way up there in heaven. And God's making sure that the sun doesn't get too close to the earth or we'll melt down here. The sun doesn't get too far away or we'll freeze down here. You know, God's got big things going on. And when we go through our life problems, God really doesn't care. Now, they don't come out and say it that way, but that's the implication that they give. Friend, I don't know where they get that from because it's not in the Bible. The Bible teaches that when we hurt, God hurts. And when we're sad, it touches the heart of Jesus Christ. And this is what we see here. Jesus wept. Why? He wept because of human suffering. I can remember several years ago, this is the best illustration I have of Jesus understanding and Jesus sympathizing what we're going through in life. I can remember my mother telling me a story back in the mid-1960s. God called my father into the ministry and, of course, with that, called my mom to be a minister's wife as well. And so they surrendered their lives to, the, to serve the Lord in the ministry. And not long after they had done that, God opened a door for my dad to pastor a church in Georgia in the, on the south side of Atlanta, a church called Providence Baptist Church. I want to just show you this picture because this was the picture, that was the first church that I ever went to. In fact, I was born in that church. Well, not literally in the church, but I mean, I was born while they were, he was pastoring that church. He pastored that church for about two, two and a half years. You can see it's a beautiful, small country church. And maybe they had 50, 60, 70, 80 people come into the services. And of course, when you pastor a church that small, or even if you're just a member of a church that small, you know everybody and everybody knows you. They know your story. You know their story. There's great camaraderie in a church like that. Well, after he had pastored that church for about two, two and a half years, he felt like that he needed to, and my, and my mom, and of course I was baby, six months old, but that we needed to go to Texas so that he could attend seminary and learn the Bible and learn what he would need to learn to pastor a church for the rest of his life. And so he resigned that church and 
And he and my mom, and they took me, and we, we, we headed out to Texas. Well, in Texas, they didn't know a soul, not anybody. And here they had been in Georgia, their hometown. All their family was there, all of our family, all the friends in that little church where they had pastored for those years. And they go to Texas, and the first Sunday that they're in Texas, they decided to visit, this is in Fort Worth, a church called Travis Avenue Baptist Church. And I want to just show, this is, to me, it's interesting to get the comparison. There's a picture of Travis. Now, back at that time, Travis Avenue had the largest sanctuary in the Southern Baptist Convention. It seated 3,000 to 3,500 people. It's huge. And so, here, you got to put yourself in my parents' shoes. They walk in this church knowing nobody. He's not the pastor there. He doesn't know anybody. They sit on the back. They're looking at this huge room, and they're thinking to themselves, what in the world have we done? We have left our home. We've left our parents. We've left our friends. We've left our church. We were already pastoring a church. We could have just stayed there and kept doing that. And we've come to a place where we don't know anybody. And it was very hard on both of them, and especially on my mother. And she said to me years ago, she said, John, we were sitting in that huge sanctuary at Travis. And before the sermon, the choir did the choir special for the day. And she said, they sang a song. And she said, I'm telling you, when they sang this song, it was like God was speaking to me through that song. I said, what was the name of the song? She said, John, it was an old hymn. She said, they sang the old song, No One Understands Like Jesus. And she said, when they sang that song, it was like God, through that music, was speaking to me. And God was saying to me, Dottie, I know you're homesick. I know you don't even want to be here, but it's what God's called you to do. And I want you to know, I know where you are. And I understand exactly how you feel. And that was a tremendous piece for her. And that gives us an insight. Really, uh, this is, that's an application of what they experienced here. Jesus wept. And I'm saying Jesus, in addition to being strong and powerful and the creator of the world and, and all the things that he is and all the things that he did, Jesus is tenderhearted and he cares when we go through difficulties and when we go through hardships. She told me, and I didn't even know this, but she said, John, you know, you were dedicated at Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth. I said, well, you know, Mom, I thought I was dedicated back in Georgia at Providence Baptist Church. She said, you were, but when we got you to Texas, you caused a little trouble. You had to be rededicated. You had to get dedicated twice. So she said, you got dedicated in both churches. But in that second church, she learned that God understands when we're sad and when we're suffering. You know, as I think about that today, it may be in this service that there are people here. Maybe this is your first time to come to First Baptist, and you don't know a soul here. Maybe you've moved here. You know, unless you've ever moved from one place to another place, there, that, that's a traumatic experience, to leave everything that is familiar to you. And maybe today somebody's moved here from San Diego or San Antonio or from Dallas or, or from some other place. And here you, you came to church on Palm Sunday and you don't know another soul in this room. But I want you to know something, friend. God knows how you feel and God cares how you feel. And he is touched with your infirmity and he is touched with your pain. And here we see that Jesus wept because of human suffering. The second time that we read about Jesus weeping in the New Testament, we see that Jesus wept not because of human suffering, like I'm describing, death and sadness and that type thing, but we read that Jesus wept because of spiritual suffering. Now, look in Luke chapter 19. You're in John. Go back one book to the gospel of Luke, because this is a Palm Sunday uh, story here. We read about what happened to Jesus on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, by the way, is the Sunday before Easter. 
And the reason it's called Palm Sunday is because when Jesus, he got up on that animal and he rode into the city of Jerusalem, down the Mount of Olives, down that Palm Sunday trail, and, and uh, the people were waving palm branches. So it's called Palm Sunday. What's the significant? Why were they waving palm branches? Because back in Bible times, the Jewish people would wave palm branches anytime that they thought the coming of the Messiah was getting close. And so on this day, when Jesus rides into Jerusalem and they're waving those palm branches, what were they saying? They were saying, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And they were celebrating that. He's our Redeemer. He's come to deliver us. Now, they were confused. They thought that Jesus had come to save them from Roman oppression instead of save them from their sin. But nonetheless, they recognized him, many of them did, as the Messiah. Look in verse 28. When Jesus had said this, he went on going up to Jerusalem. Verse 37. Now, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, and if you've been to Israel, you've been on top of the Mount of Olives, and you've walked down that trail. They've paved it now. It's called the Palm Sunday Trail. And you're walking down that knowing this is how Jesus came down the Mount of Olives looking at the city of Jerusalem. He went down it across the Kidron Valley and back up into the city of Jerusalem. As he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And so these religious leaders, when they saw all the people worshiping Jesus, they're thinking to themselves, you're not supposed to worship a man, only supposed to worship God. They didn't understand that Jesus was God in the flesh. And Jesus said, well, if they don't worship me, the stones would cry out and worship me. Now, verse 41, this gets interesting. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. And what Jesus prophesied here in approximately 30 AD came true in 70 AD, 40 years later, when the Romans came into Jerusalem, leveled the temple, destroyed the city, and uh, did exactly what Jesus predicted here. But what I want us to see here today is back in verse 41, when Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. He cried over it. Now, here's a happy day, Palm Sunday. And everybody's celebrating the Messiah. And yet when Jesus sees the city of Jerusalem, he begins to weep. And if you go to Israel today on this Palm Sunday trail coming down that Mount of Olives, I think we have a picture of a chapel. I think we do. Yeah, that has been put there. And it's called the Teardrop Chapel. And that chapel, of course, is in the shape of a tear commemorating that Jesus wept when he looked over the city of Jerusalem. Now, the question is, why did Jesus weep? Why was he on this happy day? Why was he weeping? Well, again, in verse 42, it tells us why. If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for peace. Jesus was weeping because he was looking at a city filled with thousands of people 
who had no peace. And the reason they had no peace is because they had been looking in the wrong place to try to find peace. He said, they didn't, see, the people didn't know where peace came from. How like our world today was Jerusalem back 2,000 years ago. In our world today, there are many, in fact, the majority of people today don't know where peace comes from. And that caused Jesus to weep on this day. There are many who think that peace comes from religion. That was certainly true in Jerusalem. Here are these devout Jews, these Pharisees, and they're, they're wearing their long robes, and they're keeping the law of Moses, and they made a few of their own rules that weren't even in the Bible. And they thought the way to be right with God is to keep all these rules. And Jesus wept because he knew that you couldn't find peace through religion. Some, I believe, wept because they believed that you could find, or Jesus wept because there were many others who thought you could find peace through recreation. And you know, in our day, there are many like that. There are many who think, well, the way to be peaceful and joyful and happy is just to get out there and and have a good time and enjoy my life. Recreation can't give you peace. There are some who think that the way to find peace and security in life is through riches. If you just have enough money that That money's going to give you peace, and that money's going to give you security. And there are others, I think, that when Jesus, you got to get your mind in in the mind of Jesus. He's looking into Jerusalem. He's seeing all this, the religious crowd, others in recreation, others pursuing riches, and others thinking you could find peace through horizontal relationships. And they're thinking, if I could just have the right relationships in my life, then these people could somehow give me peace. As wonderful as relationships are, you can't find peace and security from another person. They don't have it to give. The only way that anyone can find peace is through a vertical relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus knew that, and he looked in Jerusalem, and he saw all these people looking for peace in all the wrong places, and it caused him to weep. Peace can only be found in Jesus. Let me show you a couple of verses. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, He Himself, talking about Christ, is our peace. Think about that. Jesus is our peace. And then in John 14, Jesus said this. He said in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so Jesus was was weeping on this day because he knew that the people were all looking for peace in all the wrong places. And not only that, he knew that they had had an opportunity. Here Jesus has been in public ministry for three years. He's made multiple trips to Jerusalem. They knew about his power and his healing and raising the dead and all this. But at the end of verse 44, it says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know that you had an opportunity to find that peace in a relationship with me, and you missed it, and that caused Jesus to weep. Let me ask you today, for both those of you who are saved and those of you who are not yet saved, just, just think about this question today. Do you have peace? Do you have peace? Now, if you're not saved, The answer is no. You can't have peace. The Bible says there's no peace for the unsaved. But sometimes even those of us who are saved, we lose our peace. And we lose it because we are looking to find it in all these other places. And peace can only be found in Jesus Christ. So in the New Testament, three times Jesus wept. He wept because of human suffering. He wept because of spiritual suffering, people not having peace, people not taking advantage of the opportunity to receive him and to have that peace in their heart that they so desperately long. And Jesus also wept because of his own suffering. 
because of his own suffering. Now, it's interesting. Last Sunday afternoon, I never even start thinking about a sermon for the next Sunday until Monday. But for some reason, last Sunday afternoon, I'm thinking, God, next week is Palm Sunday, and I want to talk about Jesus coming into the city. And, and I just felt in a strange way that the Lord put it on my heart, John, next week, talk about the tears of Jesus. What was it that made Jesus weep? And I came across a verse that I know I've read before, but I had, I had never really done anything to me until last week. And I want you to see this verse in Hebrews chapter 5 and in verse number 7. It's, it's another insight into the weeping of Jesus. It says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, was heard because of his godly fear. And so here we read that Jesus, when he was crying out to God, most likely talking about in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was praying and saying, God, let this cup be passed for me, most likely it was there that in addition to that prayer that he was also weeping and crying. Maybe, maybe it was when he was on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But sometime in the passion and the sufferings of Jesus, he was crying because of his own suffering. You know, this week, the Passion Week, we'll be thinking about, and Chris mentioned the social media and the different videos that we can watch this week to remind ourselves, what did Jesus do on Monday? And what was Tuesday like for Jesus? And what about Wednesday? And then Thursday night, we'll be here for the Lord's Supper service, Monday, Thursday, and we'll be reminded what Jesus did on the Thursday night before his Friday morning crucifixion. And on Friday, Good Friday, we'll be thinking about the pain that Jesus went through on the cross. And we see from Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 that in the midst of this Passion Week, in addition to praying, Jesus also wept. And I believe he wept because of his own pain that he was going through physically. But I believe he also wept because of the spiritual pain, the sins of the whole world placed on Jesus Christ. Think about this. Jesus, who had never sinned, of course, never sinned in all of his life. And on the cross, all of your sins. Think about the worst thing you've ever done in your life and how ashamed you are of that and how dirty that makes you feel. And, and, and I think about that in my life. And, and all of our sins from all the generations, all the people of all the world, placed on Jesus, he became sin for us. And when all those sins came on Jesus, think about this. For the first time in all eternity, God the Father turned his back on Jesus. Why? Because the Bible says that God is too holy to look on sin. Because all of our sins were on Jesus. So for the first time in his, in, in his, exi in his life, in eternity, Jesus the Son is separated from God the Father. He, became, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. And so Jesus, the pure one, feeling defiled and dirty because of all the sins that were placed on him, and he's now separated from God for the first time in all eternity. And that caused Jesus to weep. Now, think about what I've said so far. You still listen? Say amen. Jesus wept because of human suffering, and he still does. In fact, today, I want to mention this. When you go out, we have been working on a booklet that we hope to have ready for Easter. And it came in on Friday, and I said, I want us to make this available today. It's called When the Heart Breaks. And when I wrote this, I wasn't even thinking about this sermon, but how it's come together about suffering and pain and sadness, and we grieve, and we're sorrowful, and we're sad, and yet God understands. And this book talks about, we've all had broken hearts, and so I want to encourage you to get some of these on the way out today. But Jesus wept because of human suffering. 
He wept because of spiritual suffering. People didn't have any peace. They didn't know where to look for peace. They were looking in all the wrong places for peace. And they missed their opportunity to find that peace in him, and it caused him to weep. He wept because of his own suffering. And as I was thinking about that, I thought this. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he wept on earth so that we wouldn't have to weep for all eternity. One of the things that will be so horrible about hell is that not only will it be dark and painful and loud and final and just everything about it is awful, one of the things that will be awful about hell is the weeping that will take place. I want to show you a verse from Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is talking and he's talking about, he's describing hell and he says, cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. Now watch this. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth describes the pain of hell. But the weeping, think about this. People in hell for all eternity, one of the things they will be doing there is weeping. Why? Because they'll look back on their lives and they'll think, I was looking for peace. I was looking to be calm and, 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 and to have security in my life. And I looked to religion. And I looked to recreation. And I looked to riches. And I looked to horizontal relationships. But I failed to look to the vertical relationship. I failed to look to the person of Jesus Christ, who is the only person who could have given me peace. And for all eternity, to me, the hell of hell will not only be eternal separation from God, it will be the regret people will have because in the day of their visitation, in the day when they had their opportunity, they did not look to Jesus Christ and they did not have peace peace in their heart. All those other places they looked and all those other people they looked to, to trying to give them what they were looking for. They came up empty and they didn't, they didn't have peace anyway. Like chasing the wind. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, he said, you know, all these pursuits in life to get the deepest needs of our soul met, it's like, it's vanity of vanity. It's like chasing the wind. You can't grasp it. You can't get it. And the things you're grasping for can't meet the deepest desires of your heart. Friend, remember this. When God made you and when God made me, he made us with a hole in our hearts that only he could fill himself. And people spend a lifetime trying to fill that emptiness with something other than the person of Jesus Christ. And so as a result of that, it's one of the horrible things about hell. It's one of the reasons that we should do everything within our power to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to as many people as possible. It's one of the reasons, I haven't talked about this lately, that we have a goal. And this Easter week is a great week to invite people to church. There'll be more people come to church next week on Easter Sunday than any Sunday of the year, even more than Christmas. They'll come to church on Easter. There's an openness. And this week, you'll have an opportunity, and so will I, to invite people to come to church next week. And you know what? Your invitation may be the only thing standing between that person and an eternity separated from God in hell. It's one reason we have the goal in the prayer to reach 10% of our community here at First Baptist so that that many people could come to know the Lord and that many people could be saved and they could have peace in their hearts. Now, one of the horrors of hell will be weeping for all eternity, but think about how opposite heaven is than that. We read in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, that Upon our arrival to end the heaven, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no crying in heaven. 
There'll be no sadness in heaven. And that is told in Revelation 21, 4 to make the point that when we get to heaven, all the sadness, all the sorrow, all the tears, all the crying that we've experienced on this earth, it is over and it is over forever and for all eternity. You know, as I was thinking about the difference in Christians and non-Christians, the difference in heaven and hell and hell forever weeping and heaven never weeping, I was thinking this, for those of us who are saved, The only sorrow and the only sadness and the only weeping that we will ever do will be on this side of the grave. That's it. Because when we die, that's over. We're in heaven and God's wiping away every tear. And it's just, it's a celebration for the rest of eternity. But think about the opposite of that. For those who have never been saved, and I know I made this statement in the first service, and there were four who got saved in that service this morning. It'd be interesting to see what happens in this service. But for those who have never been saved, and maybe today, if you're unsaved, you've not made peace with God yet through Christ. I could just say this directly. If you have never been saved, the only joy, the only happiness, the only fun that you will ever have will be on this side of the grave. Because upon your death, You're going to a place where none of that exists anymore. You know, as I think about Christians and non-Christians, it's, first of all, as I said a moment ago, non-Christians can't have peace because they've never received the prince of peace. And there is no peace, the Bible says, for the unsaved. But even those of us who are saved, sometimes we lose our peace. And the reason we lose our peace is we begin looking in all the wrong places to have that peace on a daily basis that God wants us to have. You know, as I've quoted before, I love that verse in Isaiah 26 where it says, God will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. But if that's true, the opposite must also be true. If our mind is not focused on God and, and, and he's not the, the focus of our lives, we're not going to have that peace. We're going to be missing that. And even those of us who are saved, if we're not careful, When we lose our peace, we look in all the wrong places, just like those Jews in Jerusalem did. Just like on Palm Sunday when Jesus wept, he said, I know what you're looking for. You're looking for peace, but you're not going to find it where you're looking for it. It's not in religion. It's not in recreation. It's not in riches, and it's not in horizontal relationships. The only peace in life is found through a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. And the good news is, if you don't have that peace, you can have it today if you by faith will receive him into your heart. Amen.